This podcast was recorded live in London at the ICAD conference. I'm Aaron Huey. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. I think I only tried cocaine once. And I, I didn't do it on purpose. I was terrified of the experience of cocaine. But I think I had a uh, guy I used to get high with roll it into a joint okay. that I had smoked. Um, because when I did that one, I felt a level of energy and paranoia um, that I had never experienced. I work with kids who have done a lot of cocaine. Mm-hmm. But I don't know anything about it. I don't okay. understand how someone could spend. I understand how someone could spend a lot on weed. Uh, and I've had very close family members who I love deeply deal with heroin. But I don't get cocaine. Well, interestingly, I am here with Cocaine Anonymous. But I'm not a cocaine addict. Okay. I'm a heroin addict. Okay. I feel exactly the same as you about cocaine. I don't understand how people how people can do it. And this is the interesting thing about Cocaine Anonymous, because I wasn't coming to Cocaine Anonymous because I'm not a cocaine addict. But what I missed was the other little bit in their first step, cocaine and all other mind-altering substances. So I'm one of the all other mind-altering substances addicts in the fellowship. Now, don't get me wrong, if there was a pile of cocaine on the table when I was using, I would take it. I would take it and then instantly regret taking it and then go and chase heroin, which is my favourite. But I think that's one of the important things to know about Cocaine Anonymous, is it's not just for cocaine addicts. That's a big deal. I know, right? It's it's huge, because in Narcotics Anonymous, the experience is there were people of all types, and in Narcotics Anonymous, they were very accepting of marijuana overusers, people who were dependent on marijuana, which I was. what so so cocaine is not exclu- cocaine anonymous is not exclusive absolutely not in fact in the fellowship that i think about i know very few what you might term pure cocaine addicts it's quite rare for somebody to be a pure cocaine addict in our fellowship people are often taking alcohol with it or weed with it or um, heroin with it it's quite rare to have a pure cocaine addict in our fellowship is have you been to NAAACA yeah. in the United States? No. Okay, because my curiosity is we have a we have a term that, like the Oxford groups in the United States that they're very to not do the steps or to not focus on the steps is sacrilegious. They're hardcore steppers. Okay. Is that the is that a theme in England? Are you would you consider yourself you know a hardcore stepper? Personally, I am. Okay. But the, one of the beautiful things about the fellowship is I can't, I can't tell anybody else that they have to be. I know that I have to be. But anybody else, you're welcome to come to meetings and sit and drink our tea and eat our biscuits and do nothing else if that's what you would like to do. We don't have to police anyone's behaviour or anyone's activity because the it kind of like polices itself, I guess, if you're an addict of the type described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, if you are that type of addict and you don't work the steps, you're not going to stick around for very long anyway. Right. The, the consequence is that you'll relapse. I, for me, the experience, I did the steps. I didn't like them, especially step four. Uh-huh. Can't, step five felt a little better. 
but it was the people. It was that when I told my story, they loved me anyway. Yeah. I, they, they stayed with me. And when I did my step four at a uh, Perkins, which is an all-night restaurant, okay. right? and I'm sobbing because of all the things that I was so ashamed that I've done, my sponsor leaned across the table and said, I killed my grandmother so that so I could get meth. So it's okay. Yeah. We're the same, we're all the same. Yeah. There's, there's nothing much worse that any of us have done than anybody else. It's we're just accepting. And you see, it's not we're not bad people, are we? All those terrible things that we did, we're not bad people. We've got a bad illness that makes us do terrible things. That phenomenon of craving that we suffer from is paramount to all of the interests. So you know, I'll step over my children crying and leave them to go and get heroin. Can you explain to people, to parents listening, this concept of it being a disease and illness. That's, that's one of the things that people automatically put their, put their shield up. And I understand that because it does. You know, my own parents, I was a young, a young drug addict, my own parents thought that that was an absolute cop-out, an absolute cop-out. They thought, just take responsibility, stop. Just take responsibility and stop. But if you can't stop, try harder. And, um, but what I've learned from being in 12-step fellowship is this is an illness. I'm bodily, there's something different about my body and something different about the way my brain works. So my body, if I put any mind-altering substance into it, reacts differently from an ordinary person. So an ordinary person can say, just stop, and they would just stop. There's something different about my body. My body, once I've put a mind-altering substance into it, will need more. It's an involuntary action. It's like breathing or like blinking. My body just does it. Even when my head's going, don't do it, don't do it. My mum's going, don't do it. My dad's going, don't do it. My husband's going, don't do it. My body's just going to do it anyway. Absolutely no power over that. Regardless of the consequences. Regardless of the consequences. It doesn't matter how terrible I know it's going to be. My body needs it to survive. How bad did your consequences Terrible. Get? I lost absolutely everything and I would do anything for a £10 bag. Anything for a £10 bag. All right, so on the flip side, how long have you been sober? Seven years now. Seven years yeah. now. From the darkest days to now you're at an international conference of addiction and associative disorders, you're, you're talking with people, people are coming to the table. What is CA doing here? What are you guys doing in a place where every single one of us either already has the steps in, in our rooms mm -hmm. or our kids or our adults what are you promoting here? What are you guys... Okay, so what, what we want to make sure is that these treatment organisations and services that are here know what CA can offer them because we don't... Our primary purpose is always to help uh, the addict who still suffers and we can do this in a variety of ways. We can do this obviously by holding meetings and talking to addicts ourselves but we can also go into places where people cannot get out to a meeting, so treatment centres, hospitals, prisons and provide meetings in those institutions so we just want to make sure that the professional community knows about that. We can also come and do information and awareness talks for staff to make sure that the staff know enough information about Cocaine Anonymous that they would feel comfortable to signpost their clients to us. Um, and there are some people here, I've talked to a couple of people who actually don't know about Cocaine Anonymous. Don't well, know anything. My assumption is you only got in if you did cocaine. 
And right. I've been to N.A. N.A. Right. seems all-inclusive. Cocaine didn't, but it is. Well, it doesn't. And I suppose if Cocaine Anonymous had a full, had its full name, it would be Cocaine and All of the Mind-Altering Substances Anonymous, which is a bit wordy. It's yeah, a little bit wordy. I'm trying to put the acronym together, so it and it's ridiculous. Do you know what the history? It was originally started by cocaine addicts. Originally, it was cocaine addicts who started the fellowship. But I suppose they must have had the foresight to know that this is something that could work for any addict of any substance. What makes Cocaine Anonymous different than NA or AA or any of the other so ones? So we use different literature from NA. and We use the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so that's the difference with NA. They have a different set of literature. Yes. And also Alcoholics Anonymous has a singleness of purpose. So they are there to help alcoholics get sober from alcoholism. Cocaine Anonymous does have a singleness of purpose, but that's to help addicts and alcoholics get clean or sober from alcohol. So our singleness of purpose is kind of the same as AA, but drug addicts are welcome. Okay, so now wanting to address the other thing that comes up from every single person who's never been in a room and is talking to someone who's been in a room, uh, N-A-A-A-C-A, it's just another addiction. You're just getting involved in some cult, so you're just trading one addiction for another. What's your response well, to that? Well, that's interesting, isn't it? And I've, I've had this level that made people call me a service junkie, <laughs> service junkie, but let me tell you something. As a result of working the 12 steps, I've had a spiritual awakening, I've had a spiritual experience, and that, the physical manifestation of a spiritual experience for me is I have to help people, I have to be of service. That's what my spiritual experience looks like. I, I, I suffer from a life-threatening illness and that problem has been removed by working the 12 steps. So you bet I'm going to be spending as much of my time as possible carrying this message to other people. I can never pay back what Cocaine Anonymous has given me. I can never pay back. I'm indebted to this fellowship for the rest of my life. Is it an addiction? I don't know. Do I want to stop? No, absolutely not. That's the difference, I think. With my addiction, I want it to stop, man. I used against my will for years and years and years, and I really want it to stop. But with this, do I want to stop? No, absolutely not. I always heard that the difference between a cult and a seminar was where the focus was. It's a cult if you're focused on a person being the source of right. spirituality, information, and hope. That's right. Cults always have leaders. Cults right. always have leaders. We have no leaders. Whereas a seminar and organization keeps the focus on the individual. Of course. You are the source of spirituality, the hope, members themselves, faith, yeah. you know, and the, the spiritual experience. Yeah. I know that you and I going to a a CA and a t a connecting with a higher power, we can have completely different higher powers, and most likely we do. I'm sure. I'm sure. Right? And and so we're going to go in, but we can sit side by side and do our spiritual, physical, emotional, and mental work together. together. Well, the way that I see it is, it's like a big mountain that we're all climbing together, and there's loads and loads and loads of different paths up the mountain. And um, as One long way as, down. As long as you're walking up the path, it doesn't really matter which path you're taking. Right. The view from the top's the same, man. The view from the top is nice. the same. Just keep walking up the path. And do you know what? If you decide you don't like your path, that's cool. Go on another path. That's all right. Just don't throw any rocks in anybody else's path. I suppose that's the only word of caution, isn't it? Don't throw rocks in anybody else's path because it's different to yours. Just stay on your path. If you decide it's not for you, go to a different path. The view from the top's the same, man. I was talking to someone else here at the conference, and they said that Europe is really struggling. <laughs> Uh, to find the, the, the recovery system it's going to get behind. 
you know, what what is the one thing that we're going to support as a country? Okay. And there's a bunch of people going, uh, A-A-C-A-N-A, we're right here. We're here and we're free. And we're free. This is the thing that's quite remarkable. You know, I've wandered around and I've spoken to some people. And this is big business. Recovery is big business, man. Yes. We're free. Like you can literally come to meetings for 20 years if you want and not pay a single penny for your recovery. Why doesn't uh, a government... Why doesn't why don't organizations that are here get behind this stuff? Well, I suppose we we have the 12 steps which we work for our own personal recovery. We also have 12 guiding principles called the 12 traditions, which mean that we don't get involved with any outside organization. We do do some stuff. Public information will try and build cooperative relationships with government services so that people can be signposted, but we wouldn't ever associate ourselves with. Okay. An outside organization. Yeah, and that's that's to keep the outside, yeah, the money influence the yeah. away from. But we don't take any money from anybody. Yeah, and you see, if, if the government, for example, started to support a twelve-step fellowship, um, they would put their guidelines. Of course, on. of course, they would have to. If they were giving the money to fund something, they want to have a say in how it's going to be run, don't they? So the that's first, why we don't get involved with any of the outside organisations. The first time I called NA. Well, it was the second time. The first time I called, no one answered. I thought that was a sign from God that I could keep using. Like, isn't that, it's yeah, insanity. Of course, of course. But it's exactly, you understand. I See, do. that's why, is because I can say something as ridiculous and inane. I get it, man, I get it. And you know exactly I what I'm talking it, yeah. about. The second time I called was the day I had my uh, deeply spiritual experience of sobriety. Okay. It was my first day of my life. Wow. And um, I got home and I called a complete stranger, answered the phone and said, Triangle Club, what can I do for you? Right, there was an offer for support immediately. And I said, I need to know when there's a meeting, I think I'm an addict. He said, where are you? I'll come get you. Wow. And that began a process of that was my second experience my first one being my spiritual one that was my second experience of another man offering me love he didn't know me he didn't know my name he didn't know where i was and he was willing to drop everything for me so this guy must have had his spirit was awakened in the same way that mine is when i see somebody someone reaches out to me for help i've got to go man i've got to help it's what it's what we're born for isn't it i said don't do this and he said, it's okay, I love you. And I said, don't you dare, don't you fucking dare say that to me. And he said, where are you? And I said, when's the next meeting? And he said, we have one meeting every hour. We're always open. Uh, I hung up the phone on him. But I've never, you can see, I've never been able to shake that experience of someone. You know, someone touched your spirit probably for the first time in a long time because when we're using drugs, we're just closed off to all of that, blocked off from all of that love that the universe has got for us. We're blocked off from it, aren't we? So I went to a meeting later on that night, 7.30. It was the next day, 7.30 p.m. I went to a meeting. And it was a speaker's meeting. I naturally assumed they meant they wanted me to talk. Why wouldn't they, right? <laughs> I stood up when they said it's a speaker's meeting and our guest is, and I stood up because I, I you like I you said, were the guest. I'm the guest. And some big biker guy yanked me down in my chair and said, for once in your life, 
sit the fuck down and shut the fuck up. Uh-huh. And maybe you'll learn something. Best advice. He became my sponsor. But it is the best advice, but we can't take that from no. anybody apart from another drug addict. Right. I, ca- I can't take that. That was it. I can't take that. If a therapist or a counsellor... My parents. My parents. Anybody else says that to me, I'm like, who do you think you're talking How to? Dare How dare you? How very dare you? How very dare you be so rude? But in a fellowship, whatever fellowship it is, another drug addict can say that to me. I had exactly the same advice. Sit down, shut up and listen. The guy, the guy who actually was the speaker started with the words, I started smoking pot at 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And he told my story. Yeah. And I recognised that I was home. That I had a tribe. Yeah. That suddenly other people understood and my bullshit wouldn't fly. I was no longer terminally unique. Well, they I, know you better than you know yourself, don't they? I, and I wasn't going to die because no one understood. Yeah. I was going to live because everybody in the room did. Knew. And they had a solution. So when someone says that's just a cult, or you're trading one addiction for another, well, it saved my life. Even so, even so, it's got to be better than the life I was living. It was. It is. Way, way, way. Yeah. Infinitely, infinitely better. What's next? Uh, this, this eternal 12th step. And, and then look, <coughs> everybody in this room is on the 12th step. Yeah. We are all here because we want to help. Yeah. Some people are working for the most exclusive, high-priced, and they save lives. Oh, yeah. Some people are doing it for free, and they're pulling heroin addicts off the street, out of garages. Mm-hmm. But we're all on the 12th step. So what's next for you? What do you do with this? Or is this it? Is this where, where you end up? Well, who knows? And that's one of the beauties, isn't it? That's one of the beauties of being in a 12-step fellowship. I really don't need to worry very much about what's next because I just have some trust and faith that whatever is next is going to be great, it's going to be interesting, it's going to be exciting, and it's going to hold me. I mean, I do think, I do think, I wonder, because people are obviously scientists are working on, like, cures for addiction, like yeah. actual cures, like, I don't know, brain operation or medicine that you can take. But do you know what I do know? If they, were, if they invented a cure today, I wouldn't take it, man. I'd keep doing this. I'd keep... Pulling her and it's out of the gutters. I'd keep sitting with women, reading the big book. I'd keep doing my public information stuff. I'd keep doing exactly what I'm doing. Even if there was a cure, I wouldn't take it. I'd much rather do this as a solution. Why? Because it's just infinitely more satisfying than the life that I've ever dreamed of. Infinitely. I'm so happy to be able to be connected with people. You know, there's a sense of a sense of belonging to the world at last, a sense of purpose to help it help other people. It's what was always missing, I suppose. We're, we're just not alone anymore. Yeah. Well, if you could have died of loneliness, I definitely would have died of loneliness when I was using it. It's terrible, isn't it? And I've just got a worldwide family. And it is, you're right. It's worldwide. It's worldwide family, yeah. Because just sitting here, there are things that you've experienced. Exactly the same. I, I smoked pot. I did LSD and I drank. Mm-hmm. You did heroin. Yeah. But we, we could still so, talk the same language. Yeah. We, we know things. It doesn't things. matter what the substance no. is. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. How do you convince someone to, to walk into a room? Well, it's so difficult, isn't it? Because I really can't convince anybody. Their drug using convinces them. It's their drug using that has to convince them. And, you know, I can, I can try and help people, then I can go on and on and on and tell them what the problem is, tell them what my problem is, tell them what my, my physical symptoms are, tell them about my mental illness that lies to me and says it'll be OK. But I can't convince anybody. I can't convince anybody of anything, just like nobody could con- convince me. It had to be my drug use that convinced me that I was hopeless. And what is it about the 12 steps that make you so comfortable saying that when everybody else in this room 
is like, you know, you're, we, we know this and we use this technique and we use this therapy and this will work and this will work. And if that doesn't, this medication, you're confident saying, I can't help I can't anybody. I can't help anybody until they've had an experience of hopelessness. And then they can listen. Um, well, I, I suppose what, what gives me the confidence to be able to say that is based on my own experience of being in six treatment centres, several detoxes, different medication programmes, different... You know, I tried a lot of stuff, man. I tried a lot of stuff to, to, to treat this illness. And um, nothing worked until I stopped fighting. Nothing worked. Nobody could persuade me of anything until the drugs persuaded me. It was the addiction and the drugs that persuaded me that I needed help. Do do your loved ones go to Al-Anon meetings? No, I did once. I did once persuade my husband that he needed to. <laughs> yeah. How'd that work? No, he didn't like it. <laughs> no, he didn't like it at all. And and really, he didn't need to go. He, he didn't need to go. I just wanted him to go because I was so lit up by this twelve step, like um, this twelve step experience. I wanted him to have it as well. And um, but no, he really didn't need to. So none of my family are interested. They just want me to keep doing whatever it is that I'm doing. This weird cult stuff. Just keep doing the weird spiritual stuff that you're doing. Just keep doing it. So if a child, 17, 18, 19, wants to, they're still living at home, they want to go to the meetings, what do you say to parents? Absolutely, let them go. I think um, when I was younger, because I was a 16-year-old heroin addict, and when I was younger, um, and I, I, I remember when I first got recovery, and I was coming to, I was moving to a city where there was a lot of recovery, but my mum was very worried about me being around all of these drug addicts because she thought they were all a bad influence, but she didn't, what she doesn't realise that it's drug addicts in recovery and with the purpose of helping each other. Yeah. So it's very different. She just thought I was going to a place where there was loads of drug addicts. Um, but yeah, let them go, man. Let them go. Is she a believer now? My mum? Yeah. yeah. That's good. She's, she's got some peace now. She's got some peace in her life now. She doesn't need to worry about where her daughter is, what she's doing, whether she's going to get a phone call, whether the police are going to knock on the door. She doesn't need to worry anymore. And she did for years. Thanks for sharing all this. Oh, you're so welcome. That was a, it was brilliant. It was perfect. Oh, you're so welcome. So when's your next meeting? Tonight. What time? 7 o'clock, made of The International Conference of Addiction. And you come in? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 7 o'clock, made of 7 o'clock. Yeah. Okay. Incredible. It is incredible, isn't it? It is incredible. I Do you still read the book? I still read the book. Yeah, I read it every time I sponsor another woman. I still read the stories in the back. I still read little bits of it every day I read the book. Even though you know the stories? I, I, I know the book off by heart, but I still read it. What's your favorite saying in the book? Um, we've recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. We have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Because that's where I was, man. It seemed hopeless. I couldn't stop my mind from lying to me with those lies. It'll be okay. You haven't done it for a while. Just take weed instead of heroin. Just have a drink instead of speed. My mind just lied to me, and I had absolutely no control over it doing that. And I couldn't control my bodily urges to take more and more and more and more. And that is what I've recovered from. Is there in your mind something else that will work the same way? Or are you convinced that the, the book and the 12 steps, that that's it? I'm sure there's lots of other ways that can work for people, but for me, the only way that i found that works is the 12 steps of Cocaine Anonymous. It's the only way that i found that works for me. But I do see other people doing different stuff that works for them as well. We're all different, aren't we? We all use differently, we've all, we all live differently, we all breathe differently. There's loads of different ways to recover. I can only really tell you about Cocaine Anonymous because that's where I found my solution. I'm sure people find their solutions all over, everywhere.
I had another gentleman in here. This is the last thing I want to say is that I had another gentleman in here earlier and we were talking about how long we've been in sobriety and I'm 22 years now Wow! and you know he had had six or five or something like that and it always seems around this five and six mark where people are so deeply involved because mm -hmm. they really they've got the three years behind them they're like you know what because when you hear someone say I've been sober for six months and I'm gonna go take a job but you're like yeah you have you get a year hang on hang on, <laughs> hang on. yeah when I told him I just got into this new relationship, everybody in the room was like, oh, you need God. to break up today. Oh, yeah. It's like, what are you talking about? She's great. They're like, we'll talk to you in three months. <laughs> and sure enough, in three months, I'm crying about it. Mm -hmm. But even after 22 years, even after his six years, what he said to me is like, today you look great. And I was like, well, today I'm sober. And he's like, yeah, we'll talk about tomorrow, tomorrow. Absolutely, absolutely. And this is the thing about the when you question the future. I don't need to question the future. I just got right now. There's not, I've That's got it. right now and I'm all right right now. We're good right I'm here, now. I'm here, I'm doing what I need to do. This is it, it's perfect. It's perfect. such a cool way of living. Yeah. All right. Well, and, and to all the listeners, I know I didn't mention her name and her picture's not going to be on it because of the second word of narcotics, alcoholics, cocaine. It's we anonymous. Are an anonymous fellowship, We're yeah. anonymous. This and it's is anonymous a as a spiritual principle, so I don't want any personal gain from the service that I do for the fellowship. So. I don't want anybody to recognize me as a person who does service for Cocaine Anonymous. That's what the anonymous as a spiritual principle means. No personal gain. Thanks for doing what you do. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This podcast was sponsored by the International Conference of Addiction and Associated Disorders and always supported by Mental Health News Radio and brought to you by Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center. Thanks so much for listening, parents. Remember, you take care of yourselves first, you take care of your adult relationships second, and you take care of your children third because in that way we do our best work with our children. All my love to Kristen Walker, the boss goddess at Mental Health News Radio Network. Please check out all of our shows at Mental Health News Radio Network at mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com. You can find me on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, all the social media platforms. You can email me at Aaron at FireMountainPrograms.com. If you have any questions about your child and need of treatment, please contact Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center at 303-443-3343, extension 204. The assessment and that phone call is free. Thanks so much for listening, and thank you, parents, for making Beyond Risk and Back the number one parenting podcast in Colorado. We'll see you next week.